I'm not naturally intuitive. My wife is, on the other hand, and so is my son. They are both spiritually intuitive. I am often amazed at their insight. They can tell when something is going on with someone. And I can't tell you how many times we've been in a group of people and my wife, Kat, will sense something that is going on in them. She'll say something like, can you believe how mad so-and-so was? And I'm thinking to myself, they seem fine to me. Or she'll sense something and say, you need to call or write someone. And I'm over here oblivious. And I have to say 99 times out of 100, she is right. She can just sense things. It is a gift she has from God. And it is true that typically women are more intuitive than men. Now, not all, and some men are incredibly intuitive. As I said, it is a gift. It is the ability to comprehend something immediately without having to figure it out. It's kind of like instinct or having a hunch. It's a pretty cool gift. And I don't have it naturally, but there are times when God has given me insight that is beyond my capabilities. And it's always amazing when he does because I realize it, it wasn't me, it, it was God. And God gifts me in the moment to understand something that I wouldn't have had otherwise. As our text says, there are many different gifts, but the same spirit that gives them out. One of the gifts that I've been given is the gift of preaching. And I still must shake my head at that one because being up here preaching is something I never really wanted or pursued, but the, the Spirit of God has decided to give me this gift and He expects me to use it. And I marvel at it. I'm an introvert. I'd rather be out there sitting on the other side of the camera, but God called me and set me apart to use this gift for the church. I'm humbled by it, that God could even use me. God gives each of us spiritual gifts. Sometimes it's a gift that we exercise all the time, and sometimes it's a gift that he gives us in the moment for a specific task. But either way, we believe as, as Methodist Christians that all of us have been empowered by the Spirit of God with spiritual gifts. When you became a Christian, God's Spirit into, entered into you and dwells with you and empowers you to live for Jesus. And that same Spirit of God empowers us with gifts to build up the church. And we should pursue these gifts with all of our heart because we also believe that every Christian is a minister of the gospel. Every Christian is called by God to make disciples. Every Christian is important in building up the kingdom of God. Each of us has a place and a role to play. You know, I think that sometimes we forget that. We too often separate out the gifts and give certain gifts more value than others. We too often look at pastors and say it's their job to build up the church. And it's true that God gives pastors a role to play, but it is all of our job to build up the church. We each have a role to play. We aren't just receivers of ministry, but partakers in ministry. We are the church together. All of us have a vital role to play. So let's get back to our text for this day. Now, there are a variety of gifts, is what it says, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in us. You know, we've, we've been looking at how to live this messy life together as a church. And we've seen how Paul is addressing problems in the church. 
problems that are causing terrible divisions. We've seen the problems of pride and arrogance. We've seen the problems of pursuing the wisdom of the world instead of the wisdom of God. We've seen the problem of elevating certain ministers over others. And the church in Corinth is just in a mess. And Paul is trying to help them and help us do this messy life together. He is showing us how to live in accountability. He is showing us how to be a countercultural community of faith, how to truly be the church. And I hope you've been reading this text from Corinthians outside of, of church. If you haven't, take some time to read through all of 1 Corinthians in one setting if you can. If you can't do it all in one, then take time daily to read large sections of the text. It will help deepen your understanding of this vital letter to the church. Now we're getting close to the end of this letter from Paul. And this next section we're looking at starts in chapter 12. Chapter 12 through 14 is a, a complete section where Paul turns his attention to spiritual gifts. Again, I see an ABA pattern as Paul is addressing an incredibly important issue of the church. The A, chapter, all of chapter 12, talking about spiritual gifts. B, chapter 13, basically, is about love, a more excellent way. And then A, again, talks about spiritual gifts and more specific gifts. And the issue isn't the spiritual gifts themselves, but, they're but how they're being used or abused. The problem that Paul is addressing is that the church has elevated some gifts over others. Remember that whole issue of honor and shame we've been talking about? Some are elevating themselves to say that their gifts are better than others and they're flaunting their gifts and their freedom. They're jockeying for a position so that others will look on them with honor. And it's not helping the church. It's actually becoming disruptive and divisive. It's causing chaos in worship. And, and, and they are again flaunting their freedom and their gifts for the benefit of themselves and not for the benefit of the church. And Paul calls them out for this. They are out of order. So Paul uses a beautiful metaphor in chapter 12, comparing spiritual gifts that each of us have to the human body. He is making the case that each gift is important and we must use those gifts for the building up the, of the body, the church. He says this, this is 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 20. If you have your Bible, you might get it out. If you need to pause and grab it, uh, go get it. But here it is, uh, chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. There are many members, yet one body. This, this is so important. 
We work together to build up the body of Christ, the, the church. The gifts are given to build up the church, not to build up ourselves. Paul is using this metaphor to preach against factions in the church that elevate certain people and gifts over others. I think it's such a beautiful argument and a beautiful metaphor because Paul calls out the strong to use their gifts in humility and give more honor to the weak so that they aren't so that there aren't differing factions in the church. This is so important for us to understand. Each of us has a role to play in the body of Christ. Each of us is vital. When one of us isn't using our gifts to build up the church, we miss out. The whole body misses out. Each member has a gift to use for the church. What's your gift? And, and, and we use these gifts, again, to build up the church, not build up ourselves. Let's uh, read and see where Paul is heading as we read on here. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 22 uh, through 31. He says this, On the contrary, uh, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those members of the body that we think less honorable we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior members, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but strive for the greater gifts. And I will show you a more excellent way. I love this as Paul is talking to us. And uh, again, I love this image. So vital for us to understand. Each of us has a role to play. You might be thinking to yourself, oh, you know, I really don't have much of a gift. I'm weak. It's not true. In the church, every member is important. Every member is in ministry. Every member, strong or weak, is important. And we give honor to those who may seem weak. Paul sees that the church is really strong when it gives special honor and attention to its weakest members. And those that are stronger, they don't need the attention. Paul honors the weak and humbles the proud. As we have seen, as we have talked about, uh, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. So Paul believes we are all given gifts, gifts to build up the church. And then in chapter 13, Paul talks about a more excellent way. And he's talking about the gift of love. We will address chapter 13 next week. But for now, we need to know that it is in love that these spiritual gifts are exercised. So Paul goes from a more general issue usage of spiritual gifts in chapter 12 to a focus on using those gifts in love in chapter 13 to a more detailed, specific discussion of the gifts in worship in chapter 14. Here in chapter 14, we really begin to see the mess that worship has become as Paul gets pretty specific dealing with specific problems that these Corinthians are going through. 
Paul addresses specifically the gifts of prophecy and tongues. Now, we're not going to go into all the different types of gifts that we have. We aren't even going to really address the issue of speaking in tongues. It's one of the issues that they're struggling with, but it's a gift just like any other. Some have it, some don't. I think too many Methodists freak out over the gift of tongues. Uh, Many people can speak in tongues. I can speak in tongues. We just don't make it a big deal because it's not really the gift itself. The issue Paul is addressing here in Corinth involves worship and specifically bringing order to their worship that seems to have devolved into chaos. So let's read a bit in uh, chapter 14 to get the flavor of it. This is a little bit longer text. Again, we've been reading a lot here today, but if you have your Bible again, uh, uh, turn to chapter 14, and we're going to start in verse 26. This is Paul saying, What should be done then, my friends, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. There's that word. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only one or two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let them be silent in church and speak to themselves and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to someone else sitting nearby, let the first person be silent. You can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is a God, not of disorder, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, women should be silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, but should be subordinate. As the law also says, if there's anything they desire to know, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. For did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only ones it has reached? Anyone who claims to be a prophet or to have spiritual powers must acknowledge that what I am writing to you is a command of the Lord. Anyone who does not recognize this is not to be recognized. So my friends, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. So there is a lot going on here in this text. What is happening is that there seems to be really competition for speaking in worship. Some are speaking in tongues without anyone to interpret. Several are trying to speak a prophetic word simultaneously, and it seems like some are interrupting others who are speaking without letting them finish. Questions are being asked in the middle of service that aren't relevant to the topic of hand, and it's just a mess. It again seems like there is a jockeying for position and influence. And Paul is trying to bring order to this chaos and peace where there's been so much discord. Again, Paul is trying to be a pastor and correct abuses in this church, and specifically in worship. And we have to read this section in that light. Paul wants the people to understand that to exercise your spiritual gift, it must be done in an orderly fashion, and it must be intelligible to those who are there, and it must edify and lift up others. Again, we need to understand Paul is not writing a how-to manual on doing worship. His purpose is to correct wrong practices. He is correcting wrong practices. He is correcting abuses of privilege and freedom. So let's pull out some of this ver- these verses and try to highlight this, especially this issue of women not speaking. So in verse 28, it says this, But if there is no one to interpret it, let them be silent in church 
and speak to themselves and to God. That's verse 28. In verse 30, it says, if a revelation is made and, and someone is else sitting nearby, let the first person be silent. And then verse 34, women should be silent in the churches. Now, these are tough ones, aren't they? Now, let me explain my interpretive grid on this again and see if I can help us out. Paul is addressing worship that is becoming chaotic and disruptive. Paul is addressing abuses in this church. And I believe that the issue of women and silence in the church was addressing really these women's newfound freedom in Christ where they're asking questions in worship that weren't appropriate to be asked in the context of worship. I don't, and here's the thing, in, in a pagan setting here in Corinth at the other pagan temples, the way prophecy would work was you would ask an oracle a question. It's almost like a fortune cookie. You know, will this be a good day? And they'll answer yes or no. It's almost like a, a magic eight ball. And so they kind of had this understanding that to, to the proper context of worship, you would be asking questions. Well, the women, I believe, were disrupting, and we, we know this from context of the first century, the women were disrupting worship, asking questions that didn't need to be asked. So again, that's one thing. And I don't think Paul is saying they must be silent for all time because in chapter 11, Paul had already granted women the right to both pray and prophesy in the church. So again, I believe he's dealing with a specific issue that's going on in the context of worship where these women have newfound freedom. They're asking questions that shouldn't be asked in the service. This is not question and answer time. This is worship. And so he's telling them, hey, just like if you have a tongue and, and there's no one to interpret, be silent. If someone else is going to prophesy, be silent. And for the women to be silent as well so that there's not this disorder going on. Again, that's what I believe is happening here. We also know outside of Corinthians that Paul addressed uh, at least one woman as an apostle. An apostle would be one who uh, has seen Christ and is spreading the gospel. And many of Paul's churches met in the homes of women who helped lead the church. He elevated women in their status. So again, the focus for Paul is using the gifts in a way that brings order to the church, using the gifts in a way that brings unity amidst the diversity, using the gifts in such a way to build up the church using the gifts in such a way so that those who don't believe will be brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And all of these gifts are to be used in love. We'll address what love is really next week in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Again, I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter this next week. But as we wrap up today, I, I want to ask you, what is your next step as you look at these uh, issues that Paul is addressing Maybe for you, maybe you need to take a spiritual gifts inventory. Uh, you might go online or if you need help, you can uh, message me, let me know, and I can get you connected with a spiritual gifts inventory. Maybe talk to someone in your uh, grow group or Sunday school or close friend who can help you see what your gifts are and see how you can use them even more. Again, I'd invite you to meet with me or another leader to discern how you can use your gifts more effectively to build up the body of Christ. Or to take it a little bit differently. Maybe you need to repent if you have looked down on others who seem weak, who don't or aren't as gifted as what you think they should be. 
Whatever it is, I pray that you would uh, seek God this week in your gifts and how you use those gifts in love to build up the church. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, again for your the gifts that you give us, for the spirit that uh, works in us and help us to work out of love. Help us always to be seeking ways to build up the body of Christ, the church, not to build up ourselves. Help us to humble ourselves and to treat others with respect and honor. And we will always be mindful of how you have given us your grace and how you have saved us and called us. We love you, Jesus, and we pray in your holy name. Amen. Hope you all have a blessed week. Y'all take care.